Support for Under the Radar comes from Wellwithall. Wellwithall believes that self-care is community care. Premium products crafted for your daily wellness, from sleep support to heart health to your daily regimen. 20% of Wellwithall's profits are committed to leading the fight for health equity. They won't stop until it is truly Wellwithall. I'm Callie Crossley, and this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. And now for the part of the show we call lanyep. That's Creole for something extra. Prepared foods, fresh produce, and nutrient-rich protein choices are often hard to find at low or even affordable prices in several Boston neighborhoods. And according to Project Bread, more than 266,000 households in Massachusetts are living with food insecurity, a lack of reliable access to a sufficient quantity of healthful, nutritious food. But there is one grocery store in Dorchester with a mission to reduce that number by responding to its community's needs. It's called Daily Table. And here to tell us more about the grocery store are Doug Rao, president and founder of Daily Table in Dorchester. Hello, Doug. Great to be here, Kylie. I'm glad to have you. And Ismail Samad, executive chef at Daily Table. Welcome, Ismail. Thanks. All right. So a hundred years ago, Doug, you were here <laughs> talking. <laughs> <Feels like> <laughs> I know. And at that time, this was a concept. Uh, you were joined with the pointy heads over at Harvard, exploring various ways to make the world better on a fellowship. And this was your idea. So just a little bit of background about how the idea actually came into being. Yeah, well, it was, um, you know, spent a long career in the food industry. And when I uh, graduated from my 31 years at Trader Joe's, and then I had this opportunity, this fellowship at Harvard, I studied hunger and realized first off, it isn't what I thought it was, that at the time, 49 million, I think it's down to 45 million or so uh, food insecure uh, individuals, uh, that what we're calling hungry is, is food insecurity. And that what it really was is a shortage of nutrients more than a shortage of calories for most of these, which then changed the whole mission from trying to feed an empty stomach to provide a healthy meal. And that was really the, the genesis around one of the major thrusts of Daily Table. The other genesis around Daily Table was around the fact that in conversations with the CEO of Feeding America, the big, large marketing and lobbying arm for the larger food banks in America. The Feeding America CEO, Vicky Escara, had said that one of the big challenges they're facing is the issue of people being embarrassed or ashamed to use their services. And so one of the things that Daily Table tries to accomplish is it basically is trying to tackle this, if you want to call it hunger relief or a healthcare initiative, this affordable nutrition, but to do it masquerading as a food store. So the people come in and they're able to shop and they're able to have a dignified experience to them because they hold the power of the purse. So it's up to us as a retailer to win their patronage. So Daily Table really uh, blossomed with that. It came around a uh, the site we're in right now in Dorchester, came through a partnership with Common Square Health Center, which is a wonderful, innovative health center there in, in Dorchester, that recognized that one of the things they are missing in the full spectrum of health that they provide is this access to affordable nutrition. So it's one thing to have their doctors, you know, meet with, you know, their clients that sometimes are pre-diabetic and say, listen, you've got to change your diet, get more fruits and vegetables and clean protein and, and dairy and stuff. And it's another thing to then be able to actually give them 
where you can go to get that because they'll immediately say, I can't afford that. What am I going to do? So that's where Common recognized that. And we were able to find a site and uh, we opened up two years ago. Well, when you were CEO of Trader Joe's, what you saw is what a lot of folks who are in those positions see just because of the nature of the business, which is a lot of food waste. I want you to define what food waste is. We're not talking about deteriorated food, but a lot of stuff that just wasn't used. And you realize that could have another life and a really good life right. in a setting like this. Yeah, well, first, I was president, just to be clear. No, no, need, for, okay. no need for a, a, a posthumous uh, promotion here. So exactly. I was president nationally of, of Trader Joe's when I retired. And so, yes, this issue of wasted food is really a key one because – if you're going to go out and try to tackle this issue of affordable nutrition with the foods we should be eating, produce and protein and dairy, these are expensive in our food system. We know that from the farm bill and everything else with high fructose corn syrup, you know, the farm subsidies, that calories can be cheap. That You can get plenty of calories. The problem is they're often stripped of the nutrients that we need. And so one of the, the challenges we face in America is that Somewhere between 30 to 40% of what we grow is never consumed. It goes to waste. And one of the reasons I don't like the term food waste mm. is it makes it immediately sound like it's something a sanitation department or a compost pile should handle. Up. Right, right. Mm-hmm. But instead, if you mm-hmm. take those two words and just flip them, mm-hmm. and you talk about wasted food, food okay. that yeah. is the reality mm-hmm. of what's out there in most mm-hmm. of this instance. And so we have spent the last couple of years now recovering well over a million pounds of food that was wholesome, healthy, delicious, that would have been wasted. And use that resource to help bring our costs down to the point where we can offer our customers, our members, truly delicious meals that Ismael and and his team provide, and also just produce that's in the store and along with dairy and protein at prices that compete with the fast food and the other things in the neighborhood. So it's using one problem, which is all of this food that's going to waste. That's an environmental disaster, let alone the social justice issue, and use it to solve another problem, which is how to get nutrients to the food insecure at a price that meets that budget. That's my guest, Doug Rao. He's president and founder of Daily Table in Dorchester. I'm moving over to you, Ismael Samad, executive chef at Daily Table. The whole question of sell-by dates, now I think a lot of us who read labels or we're becoming a little bit more sophisticated about it, we get that now. Because in my own house, I know that that doesn't have the meaning that I thought it did at one point, where if I don't eat it by this time, it's dead, you know, whatever. So you can have a lot more room when I look in my refrigerator, (laughs) what's left there, to put together something that's delicious. And that's, of course, what you do with the prepared food section of the grocery store, which is Daily Table. So first of all, how do you begin to approach a given day when you come in and you have maybe some stuff that you do know you're going to have, as I would in my own home, but other donations that might be made to you of wasted food in which you have to turn into something that's wonderful? I'll start off by saying that at Daily Table, we don't sell anything that is out of code. Mm-hmm. We focus on being resourceful in recovering food that's still perfectly within code that we can turn into affordable, nutritious meals. So what we, like, when we just were coming from the store to the studio, we had a pallet of puff brown rice. We were like, what are we going to do with a pallet of puff brown rice? First, we're going to sell it. We're going to blow it out at a price that we can try and get some healthy cereal out to the community. And we're trying to figure out what snack can we do. We're like, oh, we got some almond butter that we can mix it together and do a nice almond bar with 
crispy brown rice or Doug was like, hey, man, what if we did a nice little snack, like Chex Mix out of it, throw some spices Ooh, in it. And you can, yeah. And so this will be, <laughs> yeah. and, it's, and it's brown rice, so it's going to have higher fiber than white rice, and it's going to have, you know, a lower sodium than a lot of the snacks on the market. So the first thing we do is we try and put our decision through a filter of a nutrition guideline that we've worked with wonderful teams in the Boston area to create. And so that's kind of what the baseline is. What options should we actually be providing to the community and what what can people relate to and what are the things that is going to be the most benefit to not only our customers, to our operations to make sure we're being as resourceful as we need to be. I was looking back on the opening of Daily Table, and I was reading uh, one of the Boston Globe writers wrote something that I thought was so perfect about for what you do. He said, you have to act like you're on the show Chopped. Like you open up your basket to see what's in there, and then you come up with something creative, and it always looks delicious uh, on the television, but you actually make it real there right in Dorchester at the Daily Table. So how did you hear about Daily Table? What drew you to this? How how did you come to become a magician? (laughs) Working with Brown Rice Palace. (laughs) Actually, a farmer friend of mine sent me a link to an article that was posted about Daily Table. And then I did a little more research and I saw that they were actually looking for someone to be the culinary mind behind the operation. And I spent about eight years in Vermont where I co-founded a restaurant called The Gleanery which is in Putney, Vermont. We focus on um, the surplus food that happens on the farm or post-farmer's market or post-farm stand, things that people may shy away from because the, the carrots are a little wonky or there's a lot of bug bites on the on the kale or something like that. So that comes to our back door. So I've all, for the last, I guess, eight years, I've been interested in trying to be kind of like that last stop, that last resort for smaller scale farmers to be able to come be a lot more economically um, resilient when it comes to their own operations. So that's kind of what I've been focusing on, that piece. And then when you couple it with the benefit of adding healthy food to the neighborhood of Dorchester, that kind of what is what brought me to the organization to say, man, this is something that I'd like to be a part of. Well, what got you interested in doing that? I mean, what interested you even in the gleanery doing that work so that you would be ready then to think about coming to be executive chef at Daily Table? I don't really know. I What happened is I, I moved to Vermont thinking that I was going to just be, you know, a farm-to-table chef. I had worked at other restaurants, and I, I wanted to get closer to food. And so that's when I sought to move to Vermont because I had a lot of farms, and I wanted to touch and get dirty with the food. And then from that, I started building a relationship with farmers, and I started they we started talking. I said, like, man, what are you doing with all that stuff? And like, well, it didn't sell at the farmer's market, or we grew too much, or... You know, the farmer down the road has better-looking tomatoes than us. They're the shallow and mine aren't. And so I had this joke where we were going to call it the compostery at first. And they were like, oh, nobody's going to use the compostery. And so we came up with this, well, you know what, how about we glean this stuff? And we really try and figure out. So we started off just thinking about ways and what, how many things we could do out of this stuff. So it just was, it was built upon the relationships and the connections and conversations that I had with a lot of the farmers that I had been working with over the last three years prior to open the restaurant. 
Wow. If you're just tuning in, this is Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. I'm Callie Crossley, and I'm here with Ismael Samad. You just heard him. He's the executive chef at Daily Table, and also Doug Rao, who's president and founder of Daily Table. And that's a grocery store, a unique grocery store in Dorchester, using fresh and prepared foods to offer to the Dorchester community that is below the kind of market rate that we might expect to pay for these high-quality and well-prepared foods, and also fulfilling a need by using wasted food in a clever and unique way. Ishmael, I have to just go back and just make this note before we move on in the conversation a little bit quiet about some of those past credentials because I happen to know that you worked at a very fancy restaurant in New York called Ariel, um, where people, if you haven't heard of it, you have to spend weeks trying to get a reservation. And it's a small house payment once you get inside. So, so you're using all of those skills, plus the ones that you brought from Vermont in a just a really exciting way. Something else you're doing there that I think is great is becoming a part of the community. And Doug, I'm going to get back to you to talk about that. To be really a community organization means listening to the people in the area about foods they like. So you've been transforming some foods from folks who live there using the filter for the nutrition guide and making it exciting. Give me an example of one thing that is now offered in the store has been that came from the customers. So the neighborhood we live in is extremely diverse, and it's got a, a heavy um, island population. Of, Caribbean. Ca- yeah, Carib- <clears throat> Caribbean population. And because we hire from the community, we I lean heavy on the experiences in the home of the people who are working with us. And so we'll say, hey, Chris, what do you want to make? You know, so it's like, hey, you know what? I want to make a curry chicken. Well, great, but how are we going to make sure it's healthier than the curry chicken that's in the, in the market? Because we want to make sure that what we're doing not only is it healthier, it's using up the ingredients that we need to use up. So if we have kohlrabi that traditionally doesn't go in curry chicken, we're going to put it in there. If we have rutabagas that don't normally go into a stewed chicken, then we're going to put it in there. So it's really working with them to create these recipes that are going to be very familiar to the community and also going to be able to execute on what we want to do when it comes to using our produce that we need to use up and make sure it's healthier than the higher sodium options in the neighborhood. Well, another celebrity chef, Emeril Lagoski, might say you're kicking it up a notch. Yeah. How about that? <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, when we talk about community, Doug Rao, founder of Daily Table, not only is Ishmael doing that by listening to what people want to eat in the store, but you have a model that's very interesting. It's a membership model. Would you talk about that and, and how people become members? Anybody can shop there, but members... I would imagine, yeah. have a special feeling of ownership about it. Yeah, well, we uh, we had a, a a bit of a long wrestling match with IRS around getting our 501c3 nonprofit because, understandably, they thought if you're going to go out and collect food and expect to give people a donation to get that and then turn around and offer it for sale, that that seemed like maybe a discount grocer just trying to avoid taxes. We brought up the point, you ever heard of Goodwill Industry? I mean, they collect clothing for free, and they turn around retail stores and sell it, mm-hmm. et cetera. Anyway, they, they finally got comfortable with the fact that we understand your mission. It really is primarily around bettering the health of a community. And they did understand also why it is we wanted to charge something for it, because it turns out most people don't want to hand out. And they don't feel great about that, that if we can get that down to the spot where price-wise, that even someone on SNAP can come in and afford this and get 2,000 calories, of healthy, nutritious food and get to the end of the month with money in their pocket, they're going to feel a lot better providing for their family. What IRS did was they said, listen, we want you to 
in some way restrict or track your customer base so you can make certain you're really serving people in need. Mm. And we said, okay, fair enough. If you're a nonprofit, I understand. So we came up with, well, let's zip code track. And then if we need to, we'll restrict. Well, it turns out we don't need to because predominantly we're serving the zip codes right around the store. And those are zip codes that are what are called Section 330 eligible. It's a technical word for HHS, which gives additional federal funding to like Codman Square Health Center okay. if they serve a customer there because it's below a certain level based on the poverty line. So we have a little in excess of 13,000 members. Membership is free. It's very non-invasive. Literally all we ask you for is your zip code and then some identifying number like a cell phone number or something when you walk up to the register, you'll give that number. And now you're in our system as a member, and we track that. So we don't know your name. We don't know your address. But it does allow us, by the way, to track and notice what purchases are. So we've been able to tell that, for instance, since we first opened, our average transaction, and this is in a community that in general doesn't have money to waste on Mm -hmm. food, Mm -hmm. that this is in a community when you buy it, you eat it, that our average transaction, the average customer coming in the store, has gone up almost double since we've opened. And we've noticed that there's a lot more fruits and vegetables. And that the product that Ismael and his team produce, the rave reviews we get on the entrees and the soups and the salads and the smoothies and the sandwiches and the, you know, the side dishes and the protein and things, that these are all becoming part of their regular diet. So I think the community has felt very strongly. We hear this wherever we go in the community because we did put together community advisory board of both organizations that are other nonprofits and businesses, neighborhood associations, you know, and YMCA and everything else to help us get honest feedback. How can we better serve this community? We're asking the community all the time with our customers, and they're not shy about coming and telling us, hey, that was too spicy or that was too bland or why don't you carry this? And we love hearing that because we want to be there to basically disrupt a unhealthy situation regarding their diet. We want to be there to provide them things that they're going to go home and their kids and they're going to go, wow, that tasted great. And my gosh, look at that price. I can afford this. Tell me what it feels like to be standing there in daily table and see it realized and see the members enjoying and having the mission as you saw it on paper really be what it is. Well, uh, to be really blunt, which is what you want, I imagine, it's a little bit schizophrenic because there's a part of me that is still daily stressed out with making this model really work. Now, from a community standpoint, I think it's working great. People come in the store, it's bright, it's open, it's clean, it's cheerful. So I think many people would say that's the nicest looking food store in Dorchester. It doesn't feel anything like, oh my gosh, you go out and collect food, you get shorter code product from manufacturers or things like that. So from that standpoint, community-facing, it feels fantastic. I mean, the goosebump stories, as I call them, I could tell you regarding our customers that have come in and told us stories about what a difference this made in their life Mm. and about people that for the first time have ever been able to buy a BlackBerry. Mm. Literally, we had when we opened it, we had this pallet of BlackBerry sold for 99 cents for a big tray, beautiful BlackBerries. And this one lady just said, I have never been able to buy a BlackBerry in my life. She bought three or four of them and my kids are splurging. Those are the moments that you go, this was all worth it. On the other hand, I say a little schizophrenic only because, on the other hand, there's the business model, which were relatively unique, quite frankly, in that we're a nonprofit, but we're attempting to be break even. We don't really care about profit. There's no shareholders that get any stake, right? So all we'd like to do is to get to the spot where if we can cover our expenses by our revenue, then it frees us to focus on customers and services instead of fundraising activities. 
We'd How love to get there. How close are you to that goal? Well, we're about two-thirds of the way. Okay, well, and that's, so it's, it's pretty it's, good for a short period of time. Oh, my gosh. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> um, and, in all honesty, um, I don't think there's any other food, certainly there's a nonprofit that we know of in America that could say that. We hope that with the second store opening in Roxbury, should open in October, uh, right on down Delhi Square, we actually think that we can cut that loss, so to say, or raise our part of covering it to in the 80 to 85 percent, which will really be world class at that point. So we're quite optimistic, but of course we're stressed, you know, because mm-hmm. yeah. it is a business that you got to run. You got to run it as efficiently, as effectively. And most importantly, you want every customer that you engage with to walk away feeling better. And to feel like that was a great deal. That was that was wonderful food. Or the people there are so friendly. And you know, my gosh, look at all this money I saved. So those are the parts that every day you gotta earn it all over again. Mm-hmm. Ishmael, how would you answer that question? How, what, how does it feel to stand there and sort of bring your, all your culinary expertise to play in this very special place? I have to agree with Doug as far as when you hear the stories and people come in and say, man, you know what, I actually know and I can really attest that my children are eating better. And the fact that that our community is aware that we need to eat differently, we need to eat better, and now they have an option, it it really is, it makes you feel good, like you're really doing work that, that is meaningful. And at the same time, I'm working with a team in the kitchen that is happy that they're delivering on that mission as well. And they're learning to cook differently and they're learning to cook differently at home and they become the advocates as well in the community. And so that to me, it's it's a humbling experience for me just to be a part of that sort of energy that's really infiltrating a community and people's homes and by each person one at a time, it, it feels good. And I should note that 85% of the people who work in the daily table are from the neighborhood. So you really get a return in that way. Has anybody come to either of you outside of Boston to say, we're thinking about this, we'd like to do something like that? I don't think I'm exaggerating here. We've had about 500 requests from communities around the country saying, we need a daily table. We've had the mayor of Providence in our store. We've had Jim McGovern, the U.S. congressman in the store. We've had meetings with the mayor's office in in Lawrence and other communities, Baton Rouge and Los Angeles, et cetera, et cetera. The reality is we need to get this model, this proof of concept set right. To us, the, the real challenge is that no other hunger relief health initiative has been able to reach economic sustainability, and hence they're not scalable. Mm. So as great as they are, and you know, I'm a big fan of Greater Boston Food Bank, for instance, but they're not scalable in the sense that they could open up and have five of them because they're economically so dependent upon both philanthropic and other funding. So the concept of Daily Tables, can we get a nonprofit initiative that's bringing the foods we should be eating into a community at a price they can afford to be economically sustainable? If it is, then it's scalable. At that point, we've had long conversations with the mayor's office in New York City with their chief of economic development, their deputy mayor that's there, et cetera, that would very much like to see Daily Table come to the Bronx and is willing to really help move hills to, get, to have that happen. And so we would love to be in the spot where we could say, now we're ready to start really thinking seriously about where else to go in Massachusetts and other areas of the country, because the need, unfortunately, is almost everywhere. And it's not getting less need, by the way. And particularly when you think about the numbers for children who are hungry every day, it's quite devastating. So just to know that you're actually able to contribute to reducing any of that is amazing. 
Thank you both for joining me. This is a great conversation, and I am very impressed with what you both do. Oh, thanks. It was a pleasure being here. Doug Rao is the president and founder of Daily Table in Dorchester, and Ismael Samad is the executive chef at Daily Table. That's it for this edition of Under the Radar with Callie Crossley. Join us next Sunday at 6 p.m. for the stories you may have missed. In the meantime, you can find our show and links to stories and companies we discussed today on the web at news.wgbh.org slash UTR. Listen to our show on the WGBH app and take UTR with you. Subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Please write to us at undertheradar at wgbh.org. Our engineer is Doug Sugarts. Andrea Swahi is our producer. Under the Radar is a production of WGBH.